Beer me your ears. It's time for Beer Me a Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is the show where week after week, Bra Guy and I beer each other a new movie. Yeah, we never know what we're talking about the next week until it is gifted upon us. It's true. But Brian, I promise you at the end of this episode, when I make the pick, you're going to want to hold a cannonball and jump overboard. I'm promising you. Neat. I can't wait for that. Yeah, just a little teaser up front. I take back everything I said about gifting movies a second ago. No, I think that's the right move, and it's mostly because you've personally hurt me lately. <laughs> is this the Goodfellas thing? This, this is the, the Goodfellas thing. thing! Brian finally saw the movie Goodfellas and then messaged me going, meh. And me being from Jersey, I felt my inner gravy fucking boil. <laughs> my inner gravy. It's called sauce. You're still going, huh? I mean, I might as well double down. You've already That's told me that. That's actually very, very, very fair. <laughs> the movie is good. I understand what what's the big hubbubaloo about it, but a hullabaloo? You know, it's it better than good fella. It's fan fucking tastic. <sighs> More like bad fellas, am I right? Oh, that's geez. not that's not true. It's like mediocre fellas. Uh, we need some we need some good juju going on here. Because this is a good movie that we watched this week. That's that's true, it is. And you've never seen this thing before, right? No, never. Uh and I wanna thank Jeff Miners, who beard us this movie for our, our last week listener episode, because I don't think I ever would have sought this movie out. No, it's like one of your favorite directors, too. Despite it being directed by Peter Weir, who, I mean, amazing, Truman Show, love it. I've never had any desire to watch this movie, and now I'm so glad that I have. Wouldn't it be weird if we just kept going and not actually say the name of the movie, and just ignore everything, and just right? like, sort of flirt? With the name the entire time? <laughs> we'll never mention the name of it. You're just going to have to guess. <laughs> hey there, sailor. Are you a master or a commander? <laughs> what is this? The near side of the world? The near side of the world have been uh, infinitely more boring, I think. Like, I infinitely. Feel like that would be like the sequel or the prequel or something. That would just be Russell Crowe in his backyard pond <laughs> on like a little dinghy. <laughs> That's a big... Big backyard pond if you can fit a dinghy in it. That's very true, I suppose. This week, we are talking about Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World from 2003, directed by Peter fucking Weir. Why don't you hit me with your quick real thoughts this time? I really, really enjoyed this movie. Well, that's because it's fan-fucking-tastic. It's hard to believe that it's 138 minutes because it goes by so fast. It does, and it's gorgeous, and it's got like a nice, cool pace, so you're kind of just... You know, enjoying the ride despite all the naval warfare. Exactly. It's like we do a little fighting, the French get away, we jam out on our violin and cello, and then, you know, we, more chasing. And Man, they do jam out hard. We will get there. <laughs> you want to get into it and find out how much we actually do love this movie? Because I have a feeling it is going to be high. I have a feeling it's going to be high, too. Um, yeah, let's get into it. As we always do, we rate the movie on a scale of 1 to 100 using 10 categories, uh, very arbitrary, but nonetheless, we still seem to arrive pretty close to the Rotten Tomatoes every time. It's true. It's weird. For as arbitrary as it is, how much we like fanboy sometimes, we get awfully damn close. We get very close, very frequently. Um, and when we hit it, we got a drink, so. We sure do, but not like a little, not like a, a little thipper. We got to pound. We got to pound it. If we, if we hit the t Rotten Tomato score, audience or critic. It's true. All of that just to get to the point that uh, the first category is story motivation, and we read the synopsis directly off of Wikipedia. I'm always scared whenever it's a movie I love. 
on Wikipedia because Wikipedia has a knack for ruining things I love. They really like to condense it down to a level where they skip important things. <laughs> they do. They don't give a damn. There, are, there have been times they've skipped entire character arcs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> During the Napoleonic Wars, Captain Jack Aubrey, played by Russell fucking Crowe of HMS Surprise, is ordered to <laughs> intercept the heavy frigate Acheron, a French privateer. I like how you said surprise, almost like you're wearing like a trench coat and you're standing <laughs> in a place where you probably shouldn't be standing and you're about to open that bad boy up. Oops. Surprise. <laughs> you looking for watches? I got watches. That's a Prenus. <laughs> Acheron ambushes surprise off the coast of Brazil. Now, who's the surprise there? <laughs> Causing heavy damage while remaining undamaged by British guns. I feel like you're slipping into like this spot of who this movie's meant for, because this is a dad movie. This is a oh, big time big dad time. movie. Like, are you saying naval warfare during the Napoleonic Wars? <laughs> oh, sign oh, me up for yes, some 1800s frigate action. This is frigate awesome. <laughs> Dads love war movies. It's true. That's probably why this is so off my radar. I get it, man. The amount of like history books I've read and listened to in like the past five years since I've had a kid is off the charts. That's fascinating to me. So you just suddenly became interested as soon as the kids were born. Like the second the first kid popped out, I was super curious about who was in Lincoln's cabinet during his first <laughs> term. I want to know now all of a sudden. It's a girl. Yeah, 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 whatever. I'm focused on World War II right now. I'm not terribly interested in this child unless this child is Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> The ship's boats tow Surprise into a fog bank to evade pursuit. They get away. They do, and I didn't know that you could like use a rowboat to tow a, a big old fighting ship. I think like, that's that a thing how tugboats you could do? work. I, there's not a little man rowing his wife from like <laughs> Liverpool with the Titanic or something well, like no. that. No, I mean, they scaled it up a little bit. Like I get once you get something moving in water, it's not hard to keep it moving in water. I think that's like one of Newton's laws. But uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I also had no idea. I'm not a naviator or whatever they're called. <laughs> Why did I like that so much? That's dumb. Dad jokes all day. Jack's officers tell him that surprise is no match for Acheron. <laughs> it shouldn't still be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and that they should abandon the chase. Jack responds that Acheron must not be allowed to plunder the British whaling fleet and order surprise refitted at sea rather than a lengthy return to port for repairs. I love how Captain Jack, he's just like, oh, that thing's going to like plunder and shit. We haven't seen it plunder, but it's probably going to plunder and shit. So they're, we they're should 100% stop it. going to go plunder. So fuck it. Let's fix it live. That's right. You could apparently just do that on a boat. I had no idea. Like, I don't understand how you do repairs live on a boat. Like, you have to go to the land where the wood is in order to replace the wood that you've lost, right? You would assume. Like, am I missing something here? And I like that they actually take the time to repair the, you know, the the lady at the front of the boat, too. Like, that's important. <laughs> like, a special, like, Bob Vila sailors, like, carving out a lady or whatever. <laughs> this old lady on the front of the boat. That's a very specific version of that show. <laughs> but I don't know how any of this works. Like, it's not like it's 
No Man's Sky or whatever, and you put two atoms together and you get a chunk of lumber. Like you mix up your materials and all of a sudden, boom, here's a tree, a sea tree. Oh, it's a good thing we were carrying all this extra wood with us just in case. <laughs> I don't know how any of this works. Seems like a terrible waste of space. It really does. Midmanship Blakeney, played by Max Perkis. Um, you know what? Max fucking Perkis. This kid's pretty all right. He is not bad. He has his arm amputated due to injuries sustained in the battle. Yes, not great. This is just a little kid who's, for some reason, a, a relatively high-ranking officer on the ship, and now he's got one arm. That's because he's got, like, a rich daddy boy. His rich daddy has the same name as the Scarlet Pimpernel. How about that? Oh. That's a little behind-the-scenes action. Wow. It's called history. I've heard of it. And dads like it. Dads love it. Shortly afterward, Acheron again ambushes Surprise, but Jack slips away in the night by using a decoy raft and the ship's limps. I have a question about French people. Yeah. Sacre bleu, are they stupid? <laughs> Apparently, it's nighttime. You follow the lamps. That's got to be the boat. The lamp is five feet off the water, and they got little spy glasses and shit. Surely they're going to see barrels holding up this one little lamp. <laughs> I don't know. Seems like a surprise to me. Maybe this is why the French like run away in battles and shit. That's like that's a stereotype which you don't want to have, but the French have it. <laughs> they do. And yet in this movie, formidable. They're very formidable. Like that captain in the other boat? I'd have to imagine he fucks pretty hard. I would imagine, yeah. I bet he's like a Pepe Le Pew. So you're saying he fucks hard, but the people he's fucking are not into it. And also they're cats. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the captain of this boat seems like he goes for people who are not of his species and they are not interested at all. Sacre bleu, let me sing you a song. Everybody wants to be a cat because a cat knows where it's at. Uh, and what's the name of your act? It's called the Aristocats. Um. Add that to the list. <laughs> Just for that bit for an entire episode. Yes. Oh, you know what we should do? We should do a contest. Oh. Because merch is coming. Yes, it is. And we do need suggestions for said merch. We have a couple that we've tossed around. But That's how true. about the first bit of merch that we get, that we do, we give away to one lucky winner. And in order for them to win it, they have to submit their version of the aristocrat's joke has to be at least five minutes long. And we're going to read these in the episodes? No, maybe we throw it on like the tail end of an episode or on Patreon or something like that. I but like that. let's let our listeners flex their little muscles a little bit. Yeah. Email us your version of the, aristoc of the aristocrats to beermemoviepod at gmail.com. You got to record it yourself and if you do it as gilbert gottfried you're either going to gain a point or lose a point it's Depends a risk you have gilbert to run is. i guarantee we don't get any we have cowards for listeners yeah we can call you cowards now because we did master of the skies it's true the oh how the turntables etc a family of cats walked into a talent agency that's a negative one already yeah <laughs> don't do that don't be french with your submission or be super duper French and have it like, 
And then he fucked his wife's armpit hair. And it got oh, tangled. Oh, oh. And he got circumcised. Oh, sacre bleu! And he was wearing a striped shirt and smoking a long cigarette and eating a baguette, wearing a beret. It was very funny. Ho oh, oh. ho. And then he took the beret. <laughs> All right, I'm not giving you ideas. Nope, nope, we've done enough now. <laughs> Submit of them, you cowards. BeermeMoviePod at gmail.com. Following the privateer south, surprise, rounds Cape Horn and heads to the Galapagos Islands, where Jack is convinced that Acheron will prey on Britain's whaling fleet. He's convinced the whole way. He basically says, that's a boat on the water. That's not friendly to the British. It's going to be preying on our fleet somewhere, somehow. 100% the French are going to the Galapagos, and I'm going to eat pudding about it. I like it. That actually sounds pretty great. Sometimes you got to form dessert in the form of your destination. That's like the cockiest way to do it. But also, this just shows where people are mentally during this time. Because yeah. he just puts a bunch of mounds of pudding in front of people. They go, yeah, that's the Galapagos. <laughs> If you put pudding in the shape of a Galapagos in front of me, I would be like, that's weirdly plated pudding. I feel like if you put a plate of pudding in the shape of the United States of America in front of most people, they'd be like, a tapioca? <laughs> like, we've gotten significantly dumber. Oh, you spilled some over here. No, that's Hawaii. <laughs> I feel like Hawaii would be made out of spam, in all fairness. Like dribbled spam. Just, Can you dribble spam? Uh, I feel like you'd have to liquefy it first. But honestly, the integrity of spam is such that that's not really a problem. It's not a problem. Do you like spam? Spam's all right. I don't hate it. I don't either. You like throw that on a nice Ritz cracker? You're in for I don't a, seek it a out. mediocre meal, for sure. Or like but I'm not going to pass it up, you know? So you're saying, stranger comes to you, offers some spam. You're just like, oh, thank you. You're not saying, stranger? That's I don't know. Like, random guy says, I got some spam in my fanny pack. I'm going, no, thank you. Why does he have a fanny pack? Because I just know a lot of people who carry random meats in their fanny packs. <laughs> That's actually a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> but a friend offers me some spam? I'll take that spam. Out of his fanny pack? Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that one. All right. The ship's surgeon, Stephen Maturin, played by Paul fucking Bettany, is interested in the island's unique flora and fauna, and Jack promises his friend several days' exploration time. He gets... A big time Napoleonic War erection. He's over like, this. Whoa, look at these animals. They're like nothing I've ever seen. No, and when you watch this movie, you're just like, that's just a bug. And he's like, no, it's a beetle. Look at this. It's got magical wings and stuff. I'm pretty sure its name is Paul or, or John. Now, look at this little beetle. Isn't it cute? It can't keep a bite to save its life. <laughs> it's adorable. I think I'll call it a Ringo. Be careful with that one, little one-armed soldier boy, because this Ringo ate my baby. I was, it felt very Australian, and then at the end, it kind of made sense that it It had to go there. It had to go there. <laughs> and insert George Harrison joke somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While his guitar quietly whimpers. That's right. Great record. However, when Surprise reaches the Galapagos, they recover the survivors of a whaling ship already destroyed by Acheron. They got them! They were right the whole time! Jack hastily pursues the privateer, dashing Stephen's expectations of more time to explore. He gets super duper bummed about not being able to explore, like to the point that Jack goes, Listen, friend, you are going to science all over that island. I'm doing as good of an English accent as Russell Crowe yeah. can do. 
You are going to science everywhere. You're going to rub your science all over that island. And then he's like, I don't give a damn about your hobbies, my best friend on this boat. <laughs> Instantly one scene later. L listen, childhood friend of mine, al allegedly. We, <laughs> we don't have time for your discovering of new species. We must defend Britain from the French because they're going to the Pacific, which is not where England is. It's going to be terrible. I have a weird question about science back then. Yeah. Couldn't somebody just like, look at these pictures and drawings that they do and just be like, bullshit. <laughs> That's not real. There's no such thing as a flightless cormorant. Or you could just like lean in even harder and draw the most buck wild thing ever and then bring it back. It's like, you can't go look it up. It's all, it's all the way on the far side of the world. It's actually a very fierce beast. I recommend not going and looking for it because you might die. You might die. It was a sparrow, but its dick was huge. I can't even describe how big its dick was. It's ridiculous. Both of them. They were huge. <laughs> they were by, it was weird. Because at first I thought it was legs, and then I saw the little beady legs behind the two dicks. Yeah, just massive preni. That's what they called it. The massive preni. Prenuses? It was a preni giganto. That's what they called it. That Latin. is the, <laughs> the genus species. What would you do if you saw, like, you're looking at your backyard, it's a lovely spring day, and you see, like, a cardinal, but, like, that cardinal's hung. Like, and you're just, like, like never seen something like that. You're just, like, creepily hung. <laughs> this bird is mostly Prenus. <laughs> mostly Prenus. It is red. So you're just like, I, is it? But it totally is. <laughs> How does it fly? It doesn't make sense. It kind of, like, last Jedi's itself along the ground. Like, you know the end of that the, that movie? <laughs> Those ships that are, like, kind of dragging on the ground, but kind yeah, of not? but also not. Exactly. I think it's like that. It just it uses it to steer. <laughs> it's like a rudder of a penis. <laughs> <laughs> that's appropriate for this movie. Maybe that's why Michael Phelps was such a good swimmer. <laughs> like he dove into the water and then just like lightly popped his shorts down just a tiny, tiny bit just so it was out enough. You don't know. I, you're right. I have no idea. It feels like that would create drag. You think so? I mean, do beavers great drag with their big ass tail i understand i'm talking about a front tail not a so much a back flappy tail but yeah i don't know i just feel like swimmers are known for like shaving all their body hair off to you know create better i would say oh are you suggesting that a big old michael phelps prenus mm -hmm. is just covered in fur no but i'm saying that it probably has the same uh drag coefficient as <laughs> a whole bunch of fur but what if he's a grower and not so much a shower? So, like, he gets out of the water and he's like, look, these shorts are certainly tight. Like, I'm going to wait here and hang on the middle rope like everyone does after they win all their golds. That's and right. I'm going to look up at the board at the clock. And I'm not really looking to see my world record time. I'm just kind of hulking down underneath. Is that why they stay in the pool so long after the race? I have to imagine it is. Like, you're not winning a gold medal and not coming out fully torqued, Brian. <laughs> I guess that's why I was never that good of a swimmer. You just couldn't get into it enough? No, I just always kept my Speedo on. <laughs> well, probably good. Also, sorry, you lost your <laughs> shots. <laughs> Got a whole bunch of second place ribbons, but only one blue. What was your stroke? Oh, I did them all. Except I hated butterfly, but ironically enough, that is what stroke my, my one blue ribbon is in. Okay. <laughs> See, you hated it enough that you probably like got a hate erection and won. <laughs> That's what it was. You know what? 
You're absolutely right. You hate fucked that pool until you won. If I could go back, I'd know how to win more often now. I need that rudder. That's right. I told you. It's going to be like that weird uh, Boy Scout thing where you do the wooden boats or whatever, and you definitely weigh down the back with like a screw or something in order to oh, okay. get that rudder. I wasn't sure. Water. Wasn't sure where you're going to go. No, you're right. Because... You shouldn't say Boy Scout and screw in the same sense. I get that, but still. Also, the conversation was already on Prenuses. Bail, 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 bail out, <laughs> bail out, abandon ship. So the surprise has become for several days. The crew becomes restless and disorderly and superstition begins to take hold among them. Midmanship Hollum, played by Lee Ingleby, already unpopular with the crew, is named a Jonah by the sailors, which is someone who brings bad luck to a ship. I wouldn't want to hang out with this dude. Like, I, I, I like to think I'm friendly towards everybody, but looking at this guy, I'd be like, I'm good. Yeah, I, he's got an undeserved smugness to him, but also no confidence whatsoever. It's a bad combination. It is. It is. It makes you want to like give him a cannonball and be like, bet you can't swim with this. Well, luckily, you won't have to because <laughs> as the tension rises, crew member Nagel, played by Brian Dick, aptly named, <laughs> deliberately bumps shoulders with Hollum as he passes him on the deck and is flogged for insubordination. And then everybody kind of gives Hollum shit. And that night he commits suicide by jumping overboard with a cannonball. Are we supposed to feel bad? It's weird because, like, they hold a service for him the next morning, and then immediately the wind picks up. So, like, I think he maybe was a Jonah. I think he was, too. But it's like, even when you're watching you're like, you have not set this character up to be strong or likable at all. And when he's gone, you're like, wow, that story arc's over. Get on with the cool stuff now. <laughs> all right, cool. We got rid of the Jonah. Can we start chasing down the Acheron again? I wasn't upset. I, like, feel a little guilty, but... Not that guilty. Part of me was like, oh, no, he's going to do it. And then he did it. And I was like, oh, no, he did it. <laughs> it's kind of like Willy Wonka. No, please stop. <laughs> the next day, Royal Marine Officer Captain Howard, played by Chris Larkin, attempts to shoot an albatross, but accidentally hits Steven instead. What a fucking dummy. Steven's all excited because, you know, birds. He, he loves his animals. He's he like, loves oh. birds so much. But then you got this dumbass Republican who's sitting here on the poop deck <laughs> just aiming his gun all willy-nilly. Like, what else do you think was going to happen, man? See, I got to gotta shoot this bird that it's an omen of good luck. Is that what it is? is that, yeah. I mean. I read somewhere that an albatross visiting your ship is supposed to be, you know, an omen of the winds turning in your favor. And this is right after they got rid of that stupid Jonah. Maybe don't shoot the bird. That's good luck. Don't shoot the good luck bird after your several days of bad luck. Especially if you've got a Jarvis on board who's always looking at birds. He loves his birds so much. He loves birds. And he's like, oh, I think I need to see this bird and draw it or something. He acts like he's never seen a bird in his life for like <laughs> every time he looks at a, an animal at this Chases point. Chases it around the entire ship. Just like, yeah, yep, that's definitely a bird. And then blammo. <laughs> then blammo. <laughs> The surgeon's mate informs Jack that unless the bullet and a piece of cloth it took with it are removed soon, they will fester, and Stephen will die. I don't want that to happen. I, li I, I like the guy. Yeah, he plays a mean cello. He plays the meanest cello. These two jamming is so good. He's such a good cellist, and both of these guys, uh, Paul Bettany and Russell Crowe, actually learned to play the instruments for the movie. That's a surprise. Russell Crowe's a musician. 
Russell Crowe said it was the hardest thing he's ever done for a movie was learning to play violin. Jeez, that actually says something because yeah. he's done some weird things. Well, I mean, who knows when he said it? It was probably before he did other weird hard things. I'm trying to think like he's coming off of a beautiful mind at this point, I think. Yeah. And I always thought that was his kind of trickiest role because it was so unlike him. Whereas Gladiator, I think, is exactly like him. <laughs> I've never met Russell Crowe personally, so I can't say. Maybe this is most like him. Or maybe the nice guys is most like him. I'd like to think that that's most like him. I don't know anything about him as a person. And I mean that, which is weird to say. Maybe that's why he, he seems to be a pretty decent actor. Because he's definitely not typecast. No, he's not. But I feel like he's like just evergreen. Like, has he ever gotten into trouble? Not really. Mm. Has he ever done anything truly spectacular? No, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Didn't South Park do a whole joke about him beating people up? Did he beat people up? I don't know. I have a vague memory of that. I'd pay money to watch him beat people up. Like celebrity boxing? That was a thing. God damn it. Uh, there are no original ideas. The surgeon's mate also recommends that the, the delicate operation be performed on land. That's actually a really smart move. Yeah. It's like, hey, like, I'm not the regular surgeon, and this boat moves. Maybe we should just go to land so I can do this. Is this a hard surgery to do? Removing a bullet from somebody's abdomen in yeah. the 1800s? Probably. Well, hear me out for a second. It's not like appendicitis, where I got to know where the appendix is first. And that could be tricky, because <laughs> anytime true. I have a tummy ache that's too bad, I Google where my appendix is. <laughs> And I Google it every time. You think every I'd know time you think I'd remember? It's like, wait, left side or right side? But with this, like, there's a hole where it went in. Yeah, just start there. You got a pretty right. good idea where that bullet's gonna be. On the other hand, you should probably figure out what is around that too, so you don't damage anything important. Well, he looks at his cartoons in order to know what's around that. Yeah, but he looks at his cartoons and he immediately gets like seasick. Oh, he would not do well in this day He's and like, age. Oh, I don't like guts, it turns out. Maybe I shouldn't be a surgeon's mate. I'm glad he doesn't have to do the surgery himself. Despite closing on Acheron, Jack takes the doctor back to the Galapagos. Steven performs the surgery on himself using a mirror. How badass is He's that? Badass. So cool. He's like, yeah, I think I'll do it myself. Do you think you could do it? Perform surgery on myself? If you knew that you were the only surgeon who's capable of doing this probably within thousands of miles and you had me standing over you like with a knife like sharpening it just smiling away getting ready to go just retching over a book with drawings of my guts yeah no i'd probably try to do it myself i'd be hurt but i'd understand yeah I, and at that point if i don't make it whose fault is it well you won't know when you won't care you'll be dead exactly and nobody else will have to feel upset that they let me die. Yeah, let's pretend like I'd feel upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to think. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd like to pretend. Damn. Finally giving up the pursuit of the privateer, Jack grants Stephen the chance to explore the Galapagos Islands and gather specimens before they head for home. To me, this is the most boring part of this movie. It's, yeah, this is like the, the downtime. and This is the bridge. This would be like if the Lord of the Rings... Also were naturalists. And they're just walking and walking and walking and walking and talking about insects and birds that I could look outside my window and see. Yeah, like it's it's been hundreds of years. We know about those things now. Yeah, Uh, Peter Weir, maybe a snip, snip, snip on this part, just a little bit. (laughs) But the iguanas went in the water, Dave. Do you understand? 
Yeah. Yes, I watched Zabumafu growing up. I understand. <laughs> That's not supposed to be a thing. Not yet. <laughs> While looking for a species of flightless cormorant, the doctor discovers Acheron on the side of the, the other side of the island. I like this shot, how he's looking at the birds, and he just looks over the horizon, and he goes, ah, shit. That's a boat. That's French. Sacre bleu. <laughs> Stephen abandons most of his specimens and hurries to warn Jack. And they, they make it sound like it's just him, but it's also the one-armed kid and, like, this giant who carries all the stuff. That giant's got a real tough job because he's got a man with a hurt belly and a one-armed kid. Like, I feel like the responsibility is a little too high for this guy. I agree. This guy, he's got a lot on his shoulders. Literally. Doesn't have to carry the one-armed kid. The kid's legs work just fine. That's true, but he does have to carry Paul Bettany. He sure does, and... That's just goofy as hell to watch. <laughs> the guy's face he's running up the hill is like full of this weird joy and determination. He's like the little seaman that could. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. Which is kind of how we all got here also, in a way. The, the little seaman that could. That right there. That one shot of this goofy ass smile with his mutton chops. It's just like a, a perfect metaphor for life itself. Yeah. Yeah. This movie, this is, man. Uh, How deep? John DeSantis is, is the actor that plays this giant with the mutton chops, the little semen that could. He's a big dude. He is a very big dude. And he gets to hold the mirror during the, the surgery. So, you know. What a lucky guy. <laughs> two parts to play here. Surprise readies for battle once more. Due to Acheron's stronger hull, Surprise must be at close quarters to damage her. After observing the camouflage ability of one of Steven's specimens, Jack disguises Surprise as a whaling ship. It's one of the several painting the boat scenes in this movie. This boat gets painted a lot. So much paint happening on this boat. Where do they keep all the paint with all the magic wood? I guess so. Like, below deck, it's like, oh, we have nowhere to sleep except these hammocks and on top of each other. Stay out of Steven's Pinterest craft room. <laughs> the Vela deck. <laughs> Sounds like a Star Trek bullshit. <laughs> Jack hopes that the French will be lured in to capture the valuable ship rather than destroy it because it's a whaling ship. It's not a it's not a fighting vessel. You know what they call those ships? Fighting vessels. Fighting vessels. That's right. Acheron falls for the disguise and surprise launches her attack. A surprise attack, if you will. Can I ask you this? Because this yeah. is a weird moment in this movie for me. They get nice and close and he yells. Surprise! And then they all, like, shed their weird clothes yeah. to reveal themselves as soldiers. They put up the right flag. They and my question is, raise the why? Flag, yeah. the why? Guy. Why? Theatricality. That makes sense, I guess. Like, I is there a, a rule in war that no one's ever going to know about because no one else is around for thousands of miles that you have to put up your colors before doing this? Like, a. yeah, I'm suggesting a war crime. I understand that. But <laughs> if no you're going to ambush no your enemy, you got to at least give them half a second of notice by raising the correct flag first. All I'm saying. No one will know. Yeah, they were like, hey, guys. Uh, <laughs> costume change. It's us. We got you. They did get them, though. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. With the back wheels of the cannons taken off, the cannons are angled upward and fire upon Acheron's mainmast, while Captain Howard's marine sharpshooters pick off the crew of the Acheron from above. Oh, they take that mast down hard. It's yeah. awesome. Mainmast snaps, falls into the sea, and that boat ain't going nowhere. 
It's not. Jack's going to finally lead that boarding party, and we get some combat, baby. Hand to hand. And it is a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. This movie is super violent in the (laughs) best way. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the time during this battle, you can't tell who's winning. It's just people fighting other people that are dressed almost identical. It's true. Everybody looks the same to me in this movie. (laughs) It's a little tricky. All those Europeans. Like, why couldn't they give, like, the British soldiers, like, holding a cup of tea and just a long cigarette for the French people so I can at least have a chance? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay, the British soldiers have swords and the French soldiers have baguettes. Exactly. I couldn't tell at all, but, man, this scene rules. Yeah, it's awesome, and it is violent, and lots of quick cuts. So many quick cuts. Upon capturing the ship, Jack is informed by the ship's doctor that the French captain is dead and given the captain's sword. What an honor. Yeah. You know, that's, I bet you if he hadn't raised his flag first, he wouldn't have given him the sword. Ah, oh, because basically that's the French fair fair. dead captain saying, Sacre Bleu, you got me, yo. Ah, you got me. Take my sword. You deserve it. I'm dead, but take a sword. You earned it, bud. Acheron and Surprise are repaired, and Surprise remains in the Galapagos. Pullings, played by James Darcy, he's one of the guys in the movie. <laughs> Real late to introduce the characters in this movie <laughs> the entire way. He's promoted to captain and ordered to sail the captured Acheron to Valparaiso. As Acheron sails away, Stephen mentions that their doctor had died months ago. I don't know how he knows this, but he does. I don't know why he knows this in didn't pass that along like you'd think that if you are the doctor on this ship and there's a doctor on the other ship and you're now kind of friends now that you've won right you would think that this conversation would happen be like we got a doctor you got a doctor no you don't got a doctor that's how that conversation goes oh i was just now you my know. best friend and my best friend said that your doctor gave him a sword but you're saying your doctor is dead maybe it's like a hierarchy thing here i'm not getting like a naval hierarchy i don't know. I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> but uh, he should know. He should know. He should Every, know. Yeah, I mean, it, this is this is probably the, the biggest stretch of the movie, is, is this part right here. Realizing the French captain deceived him by pretending to be the ship's doctor, Jack gives the order to change course to intercept Acheron and escort her to Valparaiso and for the crew to assume battle stations. Stephen is again denied the chance to explore the Galapagos. But Jack Riley notes that since the bird he seeks is flightless, it's not going anywhere. No, and I love this last shot, how the ship turns around, and the two boys just start jamming out again, man. Yeah, they start playing Musica Naturna della Strada de Madrid by uh, Baccarini. That's what I was going to say. And uh, then they chase down that, that Acheron. But also, you got to figure there's only two ships here, and... The one ship that you were just on has now turned around to start following you. And if you are on the Acheron and you see that ship turn around, I would say, treacheries, I think, afoot, guys. Like, something's <laughs> up if they're coming back. Uh, oh, hey, look, they're trying to re-intercept us. This is weird. Maybe we slow down, let them catch up. Maybe the French have already retaken the ship. Maybe, but that right there is Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. From 2003, directed by Peter fucking Weir, this movie is so good it's so good and it's not something like i said something i would have seeked out on my own so i'm very glad that this was beard to us it was one that was on my list and i feel like jeff knew that too (laughs) so this was a a perfect choice thank you jeff for story and motivation i'm going with a nine i like nine 
There are certain things in there that make me not want to give it a 10, so a 9 is perfect, I think. There's plenty of things that make me not want to give it a 10. It's mostly the ending. Yeah. Casting. It's really good. It's very good. There's a lot of British people. There's there's a lot of people who look like sailors. Russell Crowe. There's Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany are, are the main people of this movie for the majority of it. Russell Crowe has this demanding presence that just works for especially this type of role. Yeah, for the from the first time he appears on screen, you're like, ah, this guy's in charge immediately. Absolutely, it's kind of like if the people in Gladiator who should have recognized Maximus the entire time actually recognized Maximus the entire time because yeah. he had that exact sort of command on the screen and of everyone around him in that time yeah. i have weird issues with gladiator and i love that movie but i have weird issues with it here i feel like this is the type of role that he was built for yeah yeah he has that that um presence that you go yeah russell crow russell fucking crow i think russell that's what fucking he meant. Is, is that's right i'm gonna go with a 10 for casting on this thing i think it's perfect i don't think it could have gotten any better i think you're right Next up is protagonist, Captain Jack Aubrey. Lucky Jack. Lucky Jack. And he shows it time and time again that he is quite lucky. He is, but he owns it, which is the best part about it. And how much of it is luck and how much of it is just his tenacity? Does it matter? And his belief in that what he's doing is the, the right thing. And then it turns out it is. So, like, damn, he's good. He's extremely good. His orders are to only follow the Acheron to Brazil. And I love that scene where he tells Steven, he's like, listen, I broke orders so long ago. ago. We were supposed to stop in Brazil. What we're doing here shouldn't be doing here. I'm going to get that son of a bitch. Yeah. But it's also like a cat and mouse game between the two. There's a weird respect between Lucky Jack and the French captain. Yeah. That I love how it plays out even into the end. And that's the only part I do like about the weird ending is that, you know, that the cat and mouse is not over yet. Right. But it was just like so weirdly executed. I agree. Yeah, there's um, there's definitely an understanding between the two of these, especially because the French ship has such a uh, it's a superior vessel in every way. And it keeps backtracking to find the surprise again and attack it again. But I also like how much Lucky Jack appreciates what the French captain is doing to him. Yeah. Like he recognizes this guy's good. <laughs> this, uh... this is a lot of fun. This guy's good. I'm going to go with a 10. I think this is possibly yeah. Russell Crowe's best role in my mind. Yeah, that's a, that's a 10 for sure. Antagonist, the French. Just in general. It's, I'm going to go with the Acheron itself because they yeah, make it that boat its own character. That's true. And they show that it's that much faster. It's that much stronger. It's that much bigger. Has that thicker hull. It's that much better commanded. Yeah, it's actually, it's based on the uh, USS Constitution. You know, old Ironsides. Oh, yeah. I know all about that. I've read a book now. <laughs> You're a dad. You should know all about old Ironsides. I know all about Ironsides. <laughs> I think it's a great enemy. It reminds me a lot of the Shark and Jaws. Yeah. And that it shows up, it gets away, it shows up again. It's very intimidating. I agree. You can fool it, but it's going to keep coming back. Exactly. I want to go with. A. Eight. Eight it is. I feel like someone just got like mad at me when I said eight. I don't know why. I feel like eight makes sense because it's not really fully fleshed out antagonist other than it's just the the presence of the enemy. But isn't that kind of cool also though? Is that we're chasing an enemy we don't have a backstory on. I feel like a lot of stories now 
we would have that other side. Right. We would have, you know, the motivation of the French captain and a whole other thing. We don't need it. It's unnecessary. Yeah. I think it's great. Eight. Screenplay. It's pretty good, especially for how bottled everything is. Yeah. Um, I agree. It's weird because I mean, this movie got nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards and none of them were in the writing category. No, which is a little strange. I agree. Yeah. There's a couple really good lines. I like the line at the end of yeah, the bird's flightless. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. That's so good. It's a really good going out line. I think most of my favorite lines, though, are when they're all dining and they're they're giving their toasts and making their jokes. And it feels kind of disparate from the rest of the movie, but in a good way. It kind of lightens it a little bit in between these insane action sequences. It needs it, too, especially because... You need to keep the conversations interesting and fresh. And you right. have to remember, they can't just, like, Google something and then talk about it. <laughs> like, they're all having to share these stories months after months and months and months and months at sea. Yeah. So I, I like that camaraderie that these conversations bring out. And I like how you see how there is, like, the captain's quarters and who he's dining with. And then you kind of go below deck at the same time and you can see what's going on there, too. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. The Lesser of Two Weevils. I hated that line. I loved it. Uh, you would. It's a dad joke, and you, you should love true. that line. Yeah. I should have loved that line. I knew the line was coming, though, this time, so that's maybe oh, the problem. Okay, that'll, that'll do it. I'm going to go seven. Seven? I like it. Style and tone. Through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's start at 11? That feels right. <laughs> this movie takes place... Almost entirely at sea. Yeah. No notes. It's beautifully shot. Russell Boyd won Russell an Oscar. fucking for s- Boyd. Apologies to the entire Boyd family. You're right. Won an Oscar for this movie for cinematography. How do you make something that is, again, this bottled, so interesting and so beautiful the entire way through? It's a magic trick. It really, really is. I like how we go below deck. We see everything that's going on down there. Yes. It looks dirty it looks used it looks like it's not meant to be lived it's meant to be worked in right we go outside we see the water constantly around them which means you have limitations the way you're shooting this thing all you can really do when you're exterior at this point is either go farther away or go closer in that's it you are so limited what you can do but he finds so much to work with on this canvas it's amazing it's impressive and I think it should be an 11. Done. Next category is director. Peter fucking Weir. Got nominated for best director. Did not win. Did not win. Uh, everything he got nominated for and didn't win went to Return of the King. As it probably should have that year, unfortunately. <laughs> it's weird. Whenever you have a movie that's this good, that runs into a buzzsaw of a movie. That yeah. just is destined to win everything. It happens. Every once in a while, you get one of those movies that's just going to show up and sweep. It happened. I mean, this is a weird year, too, because for Best Picture that year, Turn of the King won. Lost in Translation was a huge critical darling. Mm. Mystic River was a huge critical darling. And then there was Seabiscuit. Good old Tobes McGobes. I like Seabiscuit. It's not a Best Picture nominee in my head. I almost just <laughs> choked on spit when I saw that it got nominated. I've never seen Seabiscuit, so. I like Seabiscuit. It's good. All right. This thing had no chance that year at the Oscars for a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Peter Weir, though, crushed it. It's one of his best directed movies, and that says something. That says a lot, because, I mean, the man's got some really good movies in his repertoire. 
He does. I want to go 10. I loved it. 10. Next category, music. It's pretty good because a lot of it is fake practical. Uh, yeah. It's which I think is the only way to put it. Being played by Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany, or it is otherwise being generated from somewhere on screen. None of, I don't think any of the music in this movie is original. I think it's all actual classical music from the era. I believe that's true. But one little trick that I like that this movie pulls off is you see Paul Bettany and Russell Crowe playing the songs, and then we cut to a different scene, but the music still carries through. Yes, so It's a good. neat little transition that they use in this movie throughout. Yeah. I really enjoy that quite a bit. I think it's a cool choice what they did. It doesn't make it mind-blowing to me. I agree. It's like it's nothing special about it. It's just it's appropriate. It is definitely appropriate and the use of silence I think is just as good as the use of music in this movie. I kind of want to go 6. 6? Where it's it's good, not great. It's good, not great. That's 6 6 worthy. The next category is box office. I'll pull these numbers right off of the box office mojo. The estimated budget for this movie is $150 million. It made $211 million. It's opening weekend. It finished second at the box office to Elf, which was in its second week. But it ended up winning the week, which I thought was pretty interesting. Lost the weekend, won the week. Sure. <laughs> okay, that's uh, backwards man, the backwards man. Other, other movies that week were like Matrix Revolutions, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Tupac Resurrection. I forgot about that movie. And Love Actually was around the... What a weird time. It was a weird time. Scary Movie 3. I actually saw that one in theaters. I know I did. I did too. <laughs> well, did not again, see this though. Again, weird time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with $211 million on a $150 million budget, that is a 141%, which on our scale is a 4. That's not very good, which is weird considering that I feel like this movie does leave a bit of an impact on the industry. I agree, but its impact on the box office was not a large one. No, 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 it was not. And the final category is impact on the industry. I feel like this movie comes at a funny time because it comes just before Pirates of the Caribbean kind of yucks it up with yeah. this genre a little. Well, I shouldn't say this genre. It's not a pirate movie. It's a right. naval warfare movie. It's just, exactly. Which is similar but different. Now, whenever you think of fighting on the sea in boats with sails and shit, and Captain you think Jack. of pirates. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like this movie got a lot of respect, and it still gets a lot of respect. As it deserves. It got nominated for 10 Oscars. That is no joke. That's wild. It won Best Cinematography and Best Sound Editing, and then the other eight all went to Return of the King. They did, but the other eight, there's so many technical ones here. Yeah. Like, best visual effects, best sound mixing, best makeup, best costume design, best art direction, best film editing. This movie's a heavy, heavy hitter. Yeah. They actually filmed quite a bit of this movie at sea, and then what they didn't film at sea was, you know, done in the Titanic tank. I think the industry itself has not forgotten this movie, because there's been talks about a sequel for forever on this Yeah, one. I want to say as recently as last June, they were talking about a prequel being in development. I want to go with an eight. Okay. I would say if they got the prequel, yeah. I'd go higher for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, we're 20 years on at this point. Exactly. And this is a movie that a lot of people know, and a lot of people know that people love it. Yeah, you know. But a it, lot of people haven't seen still. It's a war movie that I had little to no interest in, and now I'm very, very happy that I've seen it. So yeah. I, I Brian's going to go out and buy a war book now. This is what happens. Right? Next thing you know, 
It's a girl. That's right. Ironsides, my baby Ironsides. War interest come first or second? Now I'm confused. Now with my daughter, do I put the USS in front of the name? <laughs> or That is going to be an eight for impact on the industry. And it's going to give Master and Commander a total score of 83. Jesus, that got way too close. That is freakishly close. It is directly in between the critical score and the audience score. Oh, wow. Because on Rotten Tomatoes, this scored an 85%, and the audience score is 80%. Holy crap. That is scary. I don't know how we do it. I don't know either, but Jeff, fantastic pick. I see you asked a question also this week, and that's just cocky at this point. (laughs) Hey, I have a question about that movie I told you to watch. He wants to know what's uh, our favorite Russell Crowe movie and also what's our favorite Paul Bettany movie. And I'm just going to go one fell swoop and say Beautiful Mind. Oh, okay, okay. For some reason, I'm blanking on Russell Crowe movies right now. So I'm going to say Master and Commander. Russell Crowe wasn't actually in Cop Out. Oh, no? No, 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 he wasn't. But (laughs) that's fine. Uh, I see what you did there. And go ahead and say Iron Man. Get it over with. Uh, Infinity War. Come on. Oh, even better. That actually is the right choice. So <laughs> He's not just a voiceover in it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, great pick. Don't forget the end of every single month. It's up to you guys to be our awesome movie. Yeah, Submit so your picks throughout the month. We'll write them in. It's all random at the end of the send month. Send us so your picks. It could be yours. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, our favorite people, as you know, Hit you two. get two. Definitely worth it. So send us send us your picks, send us your aristocrats, and send us ideas for merch if you have them. But I guess now it's time for me to ask you, Dave, what are we talking about next week? Next week, I want to change the tone a little bit. Okay. Me and Brian have always had a rule, and it's kind of a way to talk about a movie fairly. And that rule is you have to celebrate the bad movies while tearing down the good movies. Yeah. Next week, I want to talk about a movie that... Me and Brian watched together, and we both fucking hated it. Oh, no, you are not doing this. But a lot of people loved it. So, Brian, I think it's time me and you revisit this movie. This will be the first time since, since we saw it in the theater. It's not a movie we saw in the theater. Oh, then I'm on the wrong page. You are on the wrong page. It's a movie me and you made fun of relentlessly while we were passing a bottle of whiskey back and forth in my basement. And it also just started filming a sequel. Because next week, we're going to be talking about the 2021 movie directed by Simon McQuoid. McQuoid? McQuid? It doesn't fucking matter, because get over here. We're talking about Mortal Kombat. Oh, I really thought that you were going with a Star Wars movie. (laughs) No, not Rise of Skywalker. Absolutely fucking not. Mortal Kombat. But Mortal Kombat. Me and Brian may finally abandon our rule. Oh, God. And we may finally just let the Tom fuckery fly and have a ball tearing down something that me and him absolutely <laughs> hated. That it seems like everyone but us absolutely loved. So. Yeah, and it's. Yeah. Next week. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> Mortal Kombat! Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Send us your movie suggestions for next month's listener pick. 
Our patrons always get double picks. Join us on Patreon this month for our most ambitious bracket episode that we've ever done. We have so many guests, and we are talking wrestling with the boys, trying to determine who the greatest wrestler is from the last four decades. And if I have it my way, it's not going to be anyone you think. <laughs> we're, we're kind of the uh, the monkey in the wrench, if you <laughs> yes. will. Cause yes. We yes. know so little about wrestling. We'll probably hold our own, but should be should be fun. Oh, absolutely. Be sure to email us your picks, questions, and comments at beermemovie at gmail.com or submit them on our social media uh, at beermemoviepod on Twitter or at beermemovie everywhere else like Instagram and Facebook. Of course, on Facebook, we always put up a post asking specifically for your questions for each movie. I already asked one. Let me get to the other. Christian Bard wrote in. He said, what is the most hilarious thing to load into a cannon and shoot it at your enemies? My immediate first thought is rubber chicken. What are you, a clown? But that feels too on the nose. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think it might be Michael Phelps' Prenus. It could be, but that wouldn't launch at all unless you like. Shoot it out like you fold them backwards and you launch it dick first, so you get that aerodynamic out first. I mean, you don't know. And then it comes out like it's almost like a wall anchor. It'd be weird. Maybe less of a cannon and more of like a t-shirt gun. <laughs> okay, that's better, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, I would load the cannon with smaller cannons. Uh, that is hilarious, actually. <laughs> I'll confuse him in submission. <laughs> Christian, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Brian, you got anything else? No, that's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week when we probably shit all over Mortal Kombat. (laughs) We'll see you then. (laughs) 